Yeah, the breaking bad news, it's the one you hope you don't have to use very often for obvious reasons, but it's the one that is arguably among the most important to get right. It's the one that dealing with people's finances and their tax information, their personally identifiable information, it's the area where you need to get it right or you're going to just obliterate any trust that customer has in you and your product. This is Writers in Tech, a podcast where today's top content strategists, UX writers, and content designers share their well-kept industry secrets. Hello and welcome to Writers in Tech, a podcast brought to you by the UX Writing Hub. The UX Writing Hub is an online education platform for content designers, UX writers, and basically writers in tech, people that want to get into the field and work in tech companies as writers and designers. Uh, today, I have a very special guest. I'm having him for the second time now. He's a principal content designer at Intuit, and his name is Stephen Cohen. Hey, Stephen, how are you? Hey, Paul. I'm doing well. How are you? Thanks for having me back. <laughs> yeah, of course. Since you've been in our podcast, it was a while. I think it was like in 2019, and I'm happy to have you back again. Yeah, time flies. <laughs> we talked about like your processes. Uh, since then, you've been a mentor in our program at the Uxone Academy, and I'm, I'm very happy to talk. All right, so I've just seen that in Intuit, you've published the contentdesign.intuit.com slash style. I will add it also in the show notes. But basically what I'm seeing here is some kind of an open source content style guide. Uh, and I would love to learn more about what I'm seeing right now. It looks so good. Yeah, I mean, our team recently refreshed our entire content design system that lives online. It had been online for a while, but we hadn't we hadn't really realized our full potential in promoting it and using it as a tool both for content designers outside of Intuit, so people you know looking to like I said looking to get into the field, looking to learn more about content design as a discipline, but also internally. So as a community for us, you know, inside of Intuit to you know, teach our partners and teach those we work with about about our craft, about our, our discipline, and, you know, make sure, again, that we're working from the same set of principles and guidelines when we do our work. So it really serves multiple audiences internally and externally. That's amazing. And to be honest, this is the first time I'm hearing the term content design system, and it, it makes my mind click because, you know, we've been talking about design systems for a few years now. You know, those open source design systems that helping designers, UX designers with like reusable components that they can use in the interface. So I used to call these uh, content style guides, which is a term that is borrowed from marketing, like brand books, brand style guides. And we had like content style guides. But the term content design system makes so much more sense. Yeah, I think you really hit it hit it on the head there. The idea is that it exists as a companion to you know, a design system in the way that it's perhaps more traditionally thought of. So thinking in terms of reusable content standards, reusable content patterns that, you know, that you know, obviously any content designer can use, but also potentially those who aren't content designers. So if we're not resourced on a project, you know, an interaction or a visual designer could potentially you know, get the, the component or the pattern, the content pattern that they need to, you know, to, to solve, you know, solve their challenge with, you know, without us being as directly involved as as we might otherwise be. So it serves a lot of the same purpose as 
know, a, a design system more broadly um, and hopefully exists as a, a companion to that. You know, you, you touched on the style guide component, and that is definitely one one important component to, you know, this content design system is, you know, just, you know, our style and formatting and, and all of that. You know, that's how we ensure, you know, a consistent experience throughout the product and throughout our marketing materials as well. But it also helps us in terms of, you know, communicating to stakeholders and communicating to partners, you know, kind of some of the data-backed style and content rationale that we're using to inform our work. So from every, you know, everything from, you know, voice and tone on down to, you know, um, inclusive language, anti-racist language that is an important recent addition to our content design system. So, you know, really using that as that, you know, that source of truth, again, for all of our teams and, you know, something that we can point to when working with product managers or engineering or you know, really anyone. This is amazing. And I love it. So Intuit is a company that's been a while since like, I guess, more than 40 years, right, Stephen? I think close to 40 years, 1983. So Amazing. So close to 40 years and they have like many different products like Intuit, Mint, QuickBooks, TurboTax, basically fintech company and they've been doing like many digital transitions over the years trust me it's not simple or not easy to be here for 40 years there aren't many companies that that have been doing uh, challenging things like that and right now i'm looking in on the voice and tone uh, style guide inside of the content design system and every product intuit mint quickbooks and TurboTax have a different voice and tone which is pretty cool. Like there aren't also many companies that have many products that are completely separated. The only f- one I can think of out of the shelf is like Atlassian that have, you know, Confluence, Trello, Ajira, uh, which are like completely different. And I wonder like how can you define different voice and tone for different products as a content design principle working broadly on different products? Well, I think, I mean, the, the way to look at it is you know, first off, there's an Intuit, you know, brand identity. So there's the Intuit voice, and then that Intuit voice flexes depending on the product. So, you know, in the same way that, you know, you as you're, you know, talking to different audiences, you know, you're going to flex your language, you're still you, you know, your personality is still the same, but you're going to be more formal in some settings and more casual in others. You know, it's an oversimplification, but that it's some, it's analogous to that. So the way that shows up for us is it's really it really comes down to the customer. So, you know, I, I work on our QuickBooks product and, you know, QuickBooks serves small and medium-sized businesses primarily. So for us, that means, you know, understanding and spending time with, with those customers and understanding, you know, for example, the challenges that come with running payroll, the challenges that come with payroll taxes and hiring employees and providing benefits for employees when you're a small business owner. So you might be someone who's you know, doesn't have formal training in business, or you've never done this before, you know, or you have done this before, but you don't have the resources to, you know, to have a human resources department or, you know, staff of tax professionals at your, you know, at the ready. So for us, that means, you know, frequently showing our work and showing the, the, the content and the, the language that we're using and listening to how First off, how they react positively and negatively. I mean, the negative is often more informative than the positive in those settings. And knowing when, you know, kind of what the right, you know, getting back to my example from earlier, what the right sweet spot is, you know, do we, you know, do they understand, you know, this tax terminology 
you know, to the point where we can just use it and 90 plus percent of them will get it, you know, and, or will, or is that too advanced? You know, do we need to define it and explain it further? You know, so it's, it really comes down to that deep customer empathy. So for us, it's just spending a lot of time and doing a lot of customer testing as we're going and what, what on the content design system site, you know, for our voice and tone principles and attributes, you know, are, you know, that's the result of, you know, kind of ongoing years of work across, really across every work stream in, within the product. So, you know, it's everything from what are the, the common attributes and principles that apply to every, every QuickBooks work stream, whether it's payroll, self-employed, you know, our virtual ex- expert platform on down, on down the line. And then where are the areas within that, that where we, we might flex slightly and where we might, you know, adapt certain language slightly differently. All right. And for example, I see that in Mint, you have uh, voice attributes that are more energizing. And in TurboTax, you have more ingenious, inspiring, empathetic. So like for me, when I'm trying to define the voice and tone, for example, we have a voice and tone workshop that I was doing for this client the other day. And we created this survey and we send it to their users. uh, And we use the words that they use to describe the product like the adjectives, and it helps us to define the voice and tone. Did you did something similar to that? We've done a number of, of different exercises. So we've done surveys and we've done, you know, like you said, customer, inter- you know, customer interviews. We do, you know, like I said, we do ongoing just prototyping with customers. So it can be everything from a blank sheet of paper, sketching out what the experience, including, you know, the, the content, including the words might look like. And, you know, getting real-time reaction to that through higher fidelity prototypes where we're, you know, we're showing, you know, something that's, that's well, you know, pretty well along and getting, you know, just watching them react to it and seeing them read it out loud and uh, following up and asking questions as, as we go. And then, you know, include, and then we've gone through and just, you know, work with our, our data partners to find out, you know, areas of drop-off, what, you know, where we have opportunities to drill down and find out where language might be, language or content might be the, you know, the culprit behind drop-off, or, you know, in some cases might be the, the reason that, you know, customers are sticking with the product or are getting through faster. So find, you know, trying to f- pinpoint those areas where, where content is make, is either a stumbling block or is helping to make a difference. And then, you know, again, working with, you know, our product managers and data partners to design A-B tests or multivariant tests to basically test our assumptions in the wild to get something in front of customers that where we're not, you know, guiding the process to get that, you know, get that data and see which one is meeting where they are. Amazing. So everything is extremely data-driven, just many uh, research methodologies uh, that help you to kind of define the voice and tone of your product. That's really cool. And I'm also looking at the content patterns part. And what I really loved about it, like there is many different content patterns I'm seeing here, like how we write emails and blog posts and errors. And one thing I really liked is the bad news section and how you specifically differentiate it from error messages. This is really smart because many people don't get it intuitively that we need to be very empathetic when we're giving people bad news specifically when it comes to finance and i love the fact that there is like guidelines specific guidelines about how to write those bad news 
and there is also all of the case use cases are presented here. In addition, the fact that it's not error messages is mentioned there, and also a link to if you write an error message. So this is the guidelines for error yeah. messages. This is very smart. And the do's and don'ts. Uh, always deliver the bad news up front uh, and don't dance around bad news. This is gold, you know? I feel like many people in the industry could use that kind of stuff. Yeah, the breaking bad news, it's the one you hope you don't have to use very often for obvious reasons, but it's the one that is arguably among the most important to get right. It's the one that dealing with people's finances and their, you know, their tax information, their personally identifiable information. It's the area where you need to get it right, or you're going to just obliterate any trust you know, that customer has in you and your product. And some of it goes slightly against human nature, which is, which, you know, when you mess up is to, you know, to apologize profusely and to make promises that things will, the bad thing will never happen again. And you know, to really overcorrect. I mean, that's kind of human nature when, you know, when we make mistakes. So some of that is, is, you know, keeping some of that humanity, but at the same time, like you said, stating it up front, you know, owning when bad things happen and then focusing on the path forward in a way that's, you know, that's empathetic and, and humane. So you have developers in your team, you have product designers in your team, and sometimes we need to help them to use this resource, right? Sometimes they need to uh, edit the strings. And do you have a method to kind of uh, communicate this content design system with your product team? Yeah, we have. We've done workshops internally with various cross-functional teams, including, like you said, our engineering partners, some of our product management partners and others to unpack, you know, our voice and tone system, explain, you know, the data and the rationale behind it, show how it, you know, explain how it shows up in the product and why, you know, and then, you know, that hopefully, you know, even if it's not a situation where, you know, they're doing, they're actually doing the content themselves, it's a situation where, if, you know, if they're coming to us and we're working through a, pro a content problem, it's a way to help make sure we're all kind of speaking the same language and, you know, operating from the same you know, set of standards. And it, you know, it works well from that standpoint. I mean, it's, you know, anytime you can codify you know, these kinds of standards and explain the rationale behind them that helps get everyone on the same team so that you can all, you know, focus on where are the areas where you can, you can adapt what's there for the situation that you're solving for. So, so that's, you know, that's a, a lot of how that shows up, you know, in, in practice, you know, day to day. All right. I know that in the past, in the past year, you, you decided to take uh, more initiative when it comes to mentoring and guiding people that want to get into the field. Do you have any tips or some kind of a pattern that you've seen with your students maybe or common questions that uh, people that want to get into the field or people that are just getting started? So any kind of advice that you can give them based on advices that you gave to your students? I mean, it's exciting to see that so many people are interested in this field and that it, you know, it is growing in that sense. It's one of those, as I talk with you know, university students, that they may not be particularly familiar with, you know, content design as a, you know, a discipline within kind of UX. It's only pretty recently that was even really considered a discipline within UX. But, you know, once, once I have, a, you know, they have a chance to understand what it is, you know, it's, it's cool to see them, you know, just be interested in it. So the interest levels is really exciting for me. You know, and I think one thing that, you know, I've seen and, you know, and, you know, kind of like watching 
emerge at, you know, in some of the, the students, both, you know, the more experienced students and then the, the ones who are still in school is, you know, kind of, kind of seeing the evolution from, you know, kind of a, you know, strict, you know, writer, you know, mentality to a co-product designer mentality. So watching, you know, watching as they kind of see the way that, that content and language and, you know, and, and, and everything they bring to the table can really shape a product direction in a way that, you know, maybe they didn't think initially. So that's something that I think I would hope more UX writers, content designers, you know, think about as they approach their careers and, you know, start, you know, achieving their career goals is to start thinking about, is to think more, I should say, about, you know, how they can use their particular expertise to, to really become and to think like a co-designer on the product and someone who's helping to build and shape a product in ways that, that go beyond just you know, the perfect microcopy or the you know the perfect header which are you know can be important and can be very impactful but you know there's there can be more to it than that right like designing the complete user flow and you know understanding if like the user is going to take maybe another direction uh, and communicating that in a way right well and understanding when content and language isn't the best solution for the pro- the customer problem that you're trying to solve and that's you know that's where that mindset shift comes in is you know be, having that seat at the table to to advocate for a solution beyond just you know, content, which is often the easiest thing to change in the interface, but can be, you know, can mask a deeper interaction or, you know, engineering problem that, you know, that can go unaddressed. So sometimes it's, you know, it's advocating for a solution that's not content. Exactly. Like for that client that I was talking about, we had some kind of a solution that was about creating some kind of a template library. So, of course, we used the term template library, but also adding this feature was completely a game changer for the end user because they end up to have some kind of a template library that they could use instead of inventing a lot of stuff from scratch. So that's an example of how you can use as a content designer, just do some kind of a mind shift and... Just think about your end user and how could you support them in their processes and eventually communicate that. Yeah, exactly. All right. So that was a lot of fun. Thank you, Stephen. I know that it's so late right now here in in your side of the world. Uh, For me, it's just morning. So I want to thank you for staying up. And it was a pleasure. And my last question usually is about how do you think we should name this episode? I know that we talked about content design systems, which was really cool. And also a little bit about like a lot of shifts that you need to do in your mind in order to become a content designer. So it could be something related to that. Oh, putting me on the spot. Um, (laughs) Yeah, uh, I think we touched on a lot in a fairly short amount of time. But I think that, you know, I think a lot of what we talked about really comes down to what a content design system looks like in practice. So it's, you know, that's a good one. Yeah. That's so a good one. I love comes, it. You know, it comes back to that. And I think, you know, that manifests as you know, some of the mindset shifts we talked about and some of the other from UX writer to you know, content designer mindset shifts. So a couple mm-hmm. ideas in there. <laughs> so 
Yeah, exactly. And for me, it was the first time that I was introduced to the idea of content design system. So even saying something like building a content design system might be a good name in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. And then I introduced it with, you know, with the, the link so everyone could see it because uh, I'm I'm really impressed. It's amazing. So yeah, no, I, the team did, did a great job on that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to be sharing it. Amazing. And uh, are you hiring right now? We do have a couple of things across Intuit right now. So careers.intuit.com if uh, mm-hmm. anyone's interested in uh, um, looking for uh, content design opportunities at Intuit. Like you said, that's across... QuickBooks, TurboTax, Mint, you know, both in the U.S. and really any of our global um, locations as well. Brilliant. So make sure to apply or to reach out to Steven. And that's about it. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone, for joining for another episode of Writers in Tech. Please make sure to subscribe on Spotify, leave a comment on Apple Podcast. I've heard that it might increase the likelihood that more people would see it. That's about it. Check also our weekly newsletter at theuxwritingapp.com where we share a lot of events, resources, and our episodes and so on. Uh, And it's all for free. And that's about it. Thank you, Steven. And I'll see you next time. Bye.